You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Welcome, Life Church Livonia. Great to be here today. Happy Father's Day and happy Juneteenth. We celebrate today that the goodness that slavery was indeed finished in our country on this day. And I just heard a statistic this week uh, that really struck me deeply. The statistic was that 58% of black families are fatherless. And that 58% of these families are being uh, raised without fathers and that this is crippling the black community. And uh, so not just for Juneteenth, but for Father's Day, we are elevating you fathers here today because you are important and your role matters. To all the men listening today, I just want you to know you have undertaken the very difficult and holy work of being a father or father figure. Thank you. You are standing against the forces of darkness that seek to steal and kill and destroy people. You are setting out in a countercultural and heavenly endeavor. And for that, I just have to say, uh, well done and thank you for being here. Uh, one of the things I love about Father's Day is it gets me reflecting on uh, things my father has taught me. And one particular story came to mind uh, very quickly. You see, I was about four years old. And uh, my parents were doing a Bible study. We were living in Southfield at uh, around Berg and Nine Mile, really close to where Life Church Southfield is now, actually. And Josh Merriweather was in that small group. And um, <laughs> they'd gotten a babysitter to watch Dylan and I. I'm four, Dylan's probably two. And um, there was a baby gate blocking the stairs up to where the Bible study was happening. But I could hear my dad's voice. And I heard him talking about the Bible and laughing and cracking jokes. And I just kept thinking, man, it stinks being down here with a babysitter. I want to go up there and be with my dad. And so I hatched a plan, a plot really. And my plan was quite simple. It was to get Dylan riled up, not hard to do, get the babysitter distracted with trying to control Dylan so that I could sneak past the baby gate, sneak up the stairs, and make it to my dad. I set the plot in motion. I got Dylan riled up, indeed it was not hard to do, and the plan worked perfectly. He started throwing a tantrum, the babysitter's attention's diverted, and I'll make my break for it. I slide past the baby gate, and I silently climb up the stairs, and I peer around the corner, and there I can see my dad sitting on the chair, and he's, you know, talking like he does full body communication. His hands are going, and I come up behind him, and in the middle of a big theological point, my little four-year-old voice goes, Dad? (laughs) And he just stops, like, so surprised to hear me. He's like, hey, buddy, what's up? And that was where my plan ended. I didn't think about what to say next. I didn't know what else I was gonna do there. I just accomplished the goal. And so I just said, "Um, I'm thirsty. (laughs) And he goes, well, drink your spit. (laughs) And everybody lost it. Everybody started laughing. And I swallowed my spit and it didn't work. And I was so dejected and sad (laughs) that I had finally gotten to my dad and that I wasn't able just to hang out. I just went and turned myself back into the babysitter. I learned to that day that uh, your spit doesn't work like water does. Only water can quench your thirst. Fun fact, learned that from my dad. And I've learned lots of other things from my dad too. Uh, My dad's the one who taught me how to play guitar. I remember coming up to my dad with my guitar one day on a family vacation and and going, Dad, can you show me how to do this? 
and I, he taught me how to do the dishes. That one I did not ask him to teach me, but he taught me anyway. Uh, my dad taught me how to read the Bible. I remember coming many times to him because I didn't understand a scripture, what was happening, and I would just say, Dad, can you show me how to do this? Uh, he taught me how to face my fears, which again was not something I wanted to learn, but at 10, 10 years old on the climbing wall, he really made me push through my fears. He taught me I do not like motorcycles or dirt bikes. That's another story for another time. Uh, and now I know Father's Day can be a painful day for a lot of people because our world is so radically broken that many men abandon their families and neglect the role of father by being absent or by being physically present um, but unavailable or immature or detached. Our dad should be that person that we can run to and go, Dad, can you show me how to do this? Dad, can you, can you teach me how to talk to a girl? Dad, can you teach me how to shave? Dad, can you show me how to hit a baseball? Dad, can you teach me how to deal with this bully at school? Dad, can you show me how to do this homework assignment? I just don't understand. And our dads are there to help us take responsibility for our own lives and rise to the challenge of life, to learn to handle conflict well, to learn to forgive and to stand up for ourselves, to learn to deal with losing and to learn to deal with winning, to learn to handle money, to learn to handle temptation, to learn what it means to be a man. We all need a dad to ask, Dad, can you show me how to do this? And as I say these things, for some of us, good memories come flooding to mind. For others, just wounds come flooding to mind. And for others, no memories come because our dad wasn't there. Not all of us had good fathers, but all of us can choose to be good fathers. Not all of us had uh, men to teach us what it means to be a man, but all of us can learn what it means to be a man and to live different lives than our father's lives. And the question we're looking at today is, what does it mean to be a man of God? On Father's Day, so much emphasis can get put on fatherhood, we just forget about godly masculinity, that God made men and he made men on purpose for a purpose. And so many of us never had someone there to teach us what that means. And today, we are going to be answering that question. And as I prayed about what to talk about today and what God might want to share with us today, he led me to a very unexpected passage that I had never considered applying to masculinity uh, or to fatherhood. And today, we're going to be taking a look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In this chapter, three things happen. God gives Joshua a commission. God gives Joshua an assignment. And God gives Joshua four commands of godly character. All of these adding up to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man of God? And as God shows Joshua what kind of man he wants Joshua to be, I believe that God wants to speak to you and I as well, to show us who he wants us to be. So we're going to start in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Notice that Joshua is the son of Nun. But have you ever heard about Nun in the Bible? Other than this one mention that he's Joshua's dad? I've read the Bible 13 or 14 times now all the way through, and I have not. So if you have a reference, let me know. We don't really hear about Joshua's father at all, but we do hear a lot about Moses. 
And it seems to me from the scriptures, Moses is the one that raised Joshua. None may have been there when Joshua was an infant. We don't know when he left the picture or if he's still in it. But one thing is clear is that the one who taught Joshua what it means to be a man was Moses. It's from Moses that Joshua learns what it means to follow God. It's from Moses that Joshua learns how to lead and to govern, how to address national conflict, how to have justice and enact it righteously. Moses raised Joshua and gave Joshua many, many good gifts. But Moses was flawed. He's a person. We're all flawed. Joshua saw Moses overwork and take way too much on his plate, hurting himself and their nation. Joshua saw Moses get attacked publicly and cruelly by multiple adversaries, including Moses' own siblings. And Joshua saw Moses firsthand disobey God and lose God's blessing as Moses lashed out in anger using God's power in his own way. Some of us were raised by our fathers, and others of us, like Joshua, we were raised by somebody else. Like Joshua, many of us have seen our fathers or father figures do great things and teach us amazing and powerful lessons. And most of us have seen our fathers or father figures fail and lose their way or abuse their power. But no matter how positive or negative our experiences with our fathers or father figures have been, there comes a time when Moses, the servant of God, is dead. And our father's time is over. And our time begins. God starts by telling Joshua that it is no longer Moses' time. Moses lived his life. Moses climbed his mountains. Moses had his victories and Moses had his failures. But Moses' time is done now. And now it's Joshua's time. This is Joshua's commissioning into manhood and leadership. Many of us were never told, son, you have crossed the border from boyhood into manhood. You are no longer a child, you are a man. It is your time now. We were never commissioned out of boyhood and into manhood. And in this moment, God is commissioning Joshua. And I just want you to know, if you have never received that commissioning from another man, I want you to hear from me. You're a man now. You have what it takes. You have a purpose. And it's your time to rise up. Your earthly father's time has passed. His choices, his failures, his victories, his defeats. They may have defined your life up to this point, but it's time for you to take responsibility of your own life, your own choices, your own future, and move forward with what God would have for you because you have a purpose. You have what it takes. God is with you, and you are a boy no longer. You are a man of God. We have these bookmarks that I want to give you to remind you of this and call you to this. And if you would like one of those, I'll come back to this later, but if you'd like one of those, please fill out our digital connection card. Send us your address. That way we can send one to you uh, because I find it so helpful to have a tangible reminder of these things. So God commissions Joshua into manhood, but God does not stop there. After commissioning, God gives Joshua his assignment. This is what we read in the next verses in Joshua chapter 1. It says, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. 
I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. God has a plan for Joshua, a life for Joshua, a battle for Joshua that is different than his plan for Moses, Moses' life, or Moses' battles. And it will be up to Joshua to determine what happens in this next generation and whether they receive more gifts than he received or more curses than he received from Moses. Now, one of the common questions and concerns that I get as I study the Old Testament with people, especially for the first time, is people get really concerned about why would God send Israel in to dispossess all these innocent nations who live here and are just living their lives? Why would God kill these people and, and, and punish them by sending Israel in? Well, let's get a couple things straight first, okay? There are no innocent nations. I mean, like, listen, would you call your family innocent? <laughs> of sin? I don't think so. And if you think the nation is more holy, righteous, good, and clean than our own families, I mean, we just got another thing coming, right? The Bible reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin magnifies when we get into these groups like families and cities and counties and states and countries. But one of the things that is chief among the reasons that God is dispossessing these nations of this land is that these nations uh, worship false gods through child sacrifice. And God is so horrified at this, so disgusted. He says later in scripture in the book of Jeremiah, they have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. As a normal part of how these folks live their lives, they burn their children alive, sacrificing them to these false gods, these idols, in order to gain favor and blessing from these gods. And one of the things that struck me deeply and troubled me and convicted me as I looked into what, what were these gods that they worshipped? Well, one was the, the god named Chemosh. He was a Moabite god. One was Molech. He was an Ammonite god. One was Baal. He was a Canaanite god. And one was Asherah. And you know what these were the gods and goddesses of? They were the gods of sex, power, money, and success. We can look on, in people, on people in history with such chronological arrogance, thinking like, man, aren't they so savage and inhumane, those foolish people, how stupid can you be sacrificing your kids to these false gods? They're just things made of wood or gold, and, you know, but not a whole lot's changed in the past 6,000 years. We still sacrifice our children to sex, power, money, and success. And in America, we've added a couple gods to the list. I would say we've added the gods of comfort and personal freedom to that list. Now, no need to raise your hands. This is very sensitive, but <clears throat> how many of you had parents who idolized comfort, their own personal freedom, money, power, success, or sex, and they sacrificed your family on those altars? I know from talking with many of us that some of the most painful parts of our stories revolve around watching our families crumble at the altars of these false gods. When we choose to lounge, and you know, 
Not all of these things can, are dramatic either. Sometimes it's just little things, erosion over time, small decisions. It's not even always a huge cataclysmic earthquake. It can be things as simple as when we choose to lounge on the couch instead of being involved in our kids' lives. We're holding our comfort over our kids and we end up sacrificing them. When we look at pornography, instead of doing the hard work of building a beautiful and intimate marriage where sex is a joy and not a chore, we sacrifice our wife on the altar of sex. When we do something because it feels good for us, even if it hurts our kids or provides them a bad example or maybe our spouse doesn't like it, and then we do it anyway, we sacrifice them on the altar of our own personal freedom. And when we're dominant because it's our house, it's our rules, it's my way or the highway, our kids don't get a voice, our wife only gets a small one because, hey, I'm the man of the house, it's my domain, we sacrifice our family on the altar of our own power. And this is not the way of Jesus. And God's assignment to Joshua after his commissioning is that he is sending Joshua into the promised land to battle against the worship of these false gods so that the true God, who doesn't sacrifice us on his altar, but instead has sacrificed himself for us, might reign and rule for the good and flourishing of the whole world. Men, God called Joshua into this battle in his generation, and I believe he is calling us into that same battle in our own generation. This is our assignment. This is one of the calls of manhood, is God is calling us to rise up and refuse to sacrifice our children, our wives, ourselves, on the altars of sex, money, power, success, comfort, or even our own personal freedoms. God is calling us to stand up for what's right and true, to hold the line of the values, the way, and the truth of Jesus as a contrast and defiance to these false idols that seek only to steal, kill, and destroy. Your father or father figure may have sacrificed your family for one or more of these things, but it can stop with you. You can say, no, not in this generation, not my wife, not my kids, not myself, not on my watch. And as Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then notice this last thing that God says to Joshua as he's giving him this assignment to go into this uh, promised land and do battle against these false gods. The last thing God tells him in verse 5 is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Men, God is committed to being with Joshua and he is committed to being with you. The question is, is Joshua and are we committed to staying with him? Man, God is with you. But are you with him? Or are there idols afoot who seek to take you out and take your family out through you? This is our assignment and an assurance from the Lord. We too must do battle against these false gods that seek to destroy us, our children, our wives, our families, our own souls. But then God doesn't just give the assignment or the commissioning. He wants Joshua and he wants you to know that he is with us and you can do this. He is with us and you can do this. You have what it takes to stay with God and to fight these battles. Lastly, God gives Joshua not just the commission, not just an assignment, but he gives him these four commands of character. He's given him the commissioning, he's given him the assignment, and now this is what he says. 
Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This passage, God says the same things multiple times because he's really trying to get our attention. And he's trying to get our attention with four, not suggestions, not ideas, but he says commands. And these four commands are character commands. They're things that we need to build into our lives to partner with God in this commissioning and his assignment. And those four words are these. Obey, lead, courageous, and strong. Obey, lead, courageous, and strong. So let's start with obey. One of the things I want you to notice is this whole conversation is initiated by God. Joshua hasn't talked one time yet. He's just listening. God is directing and leading this conversation. Joshua is not. Men, a well-ordered life starts with obedience to our Father. Before we do anything else, we need to find ourselves in the very place, in the very spot that Joshua now finds himself in this moment. He stands before his Father, listening to what the Father has to say and what the Father wants to do. It is from him that we find our center. Jesus, who is our model for life and our model for masculinity, says that he does nothing of his own accord. He does only what he sees his father doing. And that is God's invitation to us, that we would do nothing of our own accord, but only what we see our father doing. And one of the, the paragonic principles of scripture is obedience comes before success. Obedience comes before success. We must be faithful followers before we can expect to be godly leaders. And it's important that this comes first. Joshua spent many years following Moses, carrying out someone else's orders, stewarding someone else's authority before he ever got any of his own. And you may be a single person right now in a stage of life where you don't have a wife or a family or many responsibilities outside yourself yet. And this is where it all begins. Commit to faithfully follow the way of Jesus and the rest will follow. God goes on to tell Joshua this. He says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. What he's talking about is he's asking Joshua to really deeply ingest God's word so that it becomes a part of him. He's not guessing at what God may want. He knows his law, he knows his word, and he knows his voice. And men, if you are not sure how to read scripture yet, maybe even come to church so long you just feel embarrassed to ask. You just feel embarrassed to say, you know, honestly, I don't really read my Bible because I, I don't understand it. Or honestly, it's just never really been a habit and I just feel embarrassed to start now. Or honestly, you know, I just have never done it. No one's ever showed me and I don't know what to do. If you find yourself in any of those situations, please, you are not alone. 
reach out to us. We want to get you involved in a small group. We have a summer small group going on right now where we're talking about exactly this. Or you can meet one-on-one with me and I would love to help take you through how to read and ingest God's Word that you might faithfully follow Jesus. The next thing that God uh, mentions to Joshua is leader. God tells Joshua, you will lead these people. Leadership is simply defined as influence. Some of us have a lot of influence. We have lots of things we're leading. Our influence is far-reaching at work, at church, at school, at home. Some of us have a little influence. We're not over a bunch of things, but we are over some things. And there are people who care about what we have to say and are influenced by it. And so just like God told Joshua, you will lead, you will lead. All of us listening will lead. We all have influence we're exerting somewhere with somebody. It's not a matter of whether or not we will lead. It's a matter of where we will lead. (laughs) Where are we going to lead the people who uh, receive our influence? Because to be a leader, all we need is influence. But that just because we have influence doesn't mean we're a good leader to follow. In order to be a good leader to follow, we need more than influence. We need to accept the responsibility that comes with that influence. Because when we use our power in relationships and friendships and marriages at church and parenting, and then we refuse to take responsibility for when that influence hurts or misleads or has a negative effect on others, even if it's unintentional, most of the time it is. If we refuse to accept that responsibility, we become dangerous and we become wounding and we become the kind of person that no one wants to follow. In order to avoid this, We must accept responsibility, which is scary. It's scary, but it's necessary to become a godly man. We see this hugely contrasted in Adam and Jesus, right? Adam and Eve sin. Adam's right there watching Eve be deceived. He says nothing. He does nothing. And when God says, Adam, what happened? Adam goes, it's the woman you gave me. It's the wife. Just the new wife would have been way better. It was her fault. And we see Jesus in such contrast uh, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Yeah, they're not my sins, but it is for their good. And Jesus takes responsibility for our sinfulness on the cross so that we might have a new life in Christ. The next thing that God tells Joshua is that in order to accept this responsibility, we need courage. That courage is necessary for Joshua. It's the command of God. And we're going to define courage here as the determination to press in and move forward despite the dangers that threaten us from the outside and the fears that threaten us from the inside. Courage is having the hard conversation with my kids when I'd really prefer not to, or being honest with my wife when I'd rather just bottle it up. Courage is having self-control in a hard conversation so I can say what's best for the person, not just what will make me feel better as I vent my anger. Courage is doing the right thing when it costs me. Courage is choosing to pay attention to my kids or my spouse when I'd rather pay attention to myself. Courage is being able to admit when I'm wrong or when I'm scared or when I just don't know something and need to learn. Courage is the strength to tell myself no so that I can tell those I lead yes It's the strength to lead myself so I can lead others well. Courage is standing for what's true and right even when it hurts me. I think of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who uh, were legally required to worship the king of Babylon and they said no. 
We don't worship other kings other than God. And, and the king said, well, I'm going to kill you. And they said, yeah, you can try, but God can save us if he wants to because he's just that powerful. But even if he doesn't save us, this is where we draw the line. We're not, we're not going past this line. And so he throws them into this blazing furnace and God does save them. And by saving them, makes himself known as the God above all gods. And then a new law is instituted. The people must now worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of their courage. And then lastly, the first thing that God tells Joshua, commands him, is to be strong. And the Hebrew word here used for strength isn't physical strength. It's not going like, Joshua, go do some reps in the gym, you know, have Pavel teach a little kettlebell action. None of that stuff. This word means conviction. It's a strength and depth of conviction. However, in order to have conviction, though, <clears throat> it requires us to reject passivity. To reject passivity. You see, again, in the Garden of Eden, Adam is standing there watching this serpent deceive his wife, telling her lies, things that are opposite to God. And then he listens as Eve misquotes God back to the serpent. And one of the things I've asked myself is, huh, I wonder if it was Eve who misquoted God, or if Adam may have misquoted God to Eve, which is why she thought that was the case. Scripture doesn't say, but what it does show us is that in the midst of this temptation, Adam is passive. He chooses to just watch and let things unfold, and we're paying the price for it today. Jesus, on the other hand, does not accept passivity. He rejects passivity. When he could, in the desert, he's tempted by the devil, the devil says, listen, you don't need the cross, okay? Cross, messy, oh, danger, ah, they're bloody, huh. But I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you every single one of them. All you have to do is worship me. You get to be king of the world, no cross. And Jesus says, no, no. I know it's harder this way, but this is what my father wants. And then again in the garden, Jesus is tempted to say no to the cross. But he rejects the desire to just let things happen and run away. And instead, he has the courage to press in. So God commissions Joshua. He commissions him, it is your time now. And man, it is your time now. He gives Joshua an assignment. He gives Joshua an assignment to stand for God. This God of the universe against these false gods of sex and power and money and success and comfort and our own personal freedom. And then he gives them these, Joshua these four commands, showing him what he's asking for when he's asking Joshua to live as a godly man in this generation. And then God ends with this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Men, God is with you, and you can do this. Whether your dad was good or bad or absent, it's your time now. From today forward, you are commissioned as a man, as a man after God. God has an assignment for you, a purpose for such a time as this. It's no mistake that you're here listening to me now, and it's no mistake you were born in this time and place in human history. God has a purpose for you here, and a huge part of that purpose is to fight against these false idols that seek to steal, kill, and destroy instead of finding life to the full in Jesus. 
And lastly, our Father in heaven is teaching us how to be men of God, regardless of whether or not our fathers on earth did. He's showing us that we must be strong, have conviction, and reject passivity. Be courageous to press in even when it's hard. To be obedient and faithful followers of Jesus, submitted to an authority, not just full of authority that we abuse. And finally, to be a godly leader who accepts responsibility for the influence I have and uses it in a wholesome way. And so I just ask, where are you at today? Are you struggling with one of those four words? Are you going, man, I have a lot of conviction, but I'm not very obedient. Or man, I got a lot of obedient, but I just struggle with passivity. I just want you to know you're not alone. Reach out to us. We are here to help you. Maybe you're down and out and you're realizing, boy, I've really blown the assignment thus far. Instead of fighting these idols, I've invited them into my home. And I, I, I'm realizing I've been sacrificing my family on some of these altars for years. And I don't know what to do. Reach out to us. You are not alone. You can do this. God is with you. And there is hope for a better future. And maybe you're hesitant this morning. You're hesitant receiving this commissioning, this invitation from the Lord. It's not just an invitation into manhood. It's an invitation into sonship. That you might be God's son. His beloved son. Whom he is for and whom he is with. And maybe you have yet to meet that father in heaven. No matter whether your parents were good or bad, every single parent's greatest victory is introducing their children to their heavenly father. Because no matter how great our parents are, they are just people. And it is from our father in heaven whom we really must learn how to walk this life and how to find abundance. Wherever you find yourself this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Because God is with you, and you can do this. So Lord, we just come before you, our Father. Lord, I just ask that your Spirit would search our hearts right now. And Lord, that you would push on the places where you are calling us into the courage to take a deeper step with you. For those of us this morning that just realized we have been uh, inviting these idols into our home, I just invite us to repent right now and just say, God, I'm sorry. I don't even know where to begin, but I want to change and I need to change. And I just ask that you'd help me. For those of us uh, who are struggling to live in one of those four words, I just say, Lord, forgive me. Dad, can you show me how to do this? Because I just don't know how. Show me what it means to live this way. And for those of us who have yet to accept our Heavenly Father, I just want you to pray with me and go, Father, I surrender. I have tried to do life my own way, and I have not battled these idols. I have invited them. And Lord, I just have tasted the emptiness of that life. And Lord, I want to do life your way. I just receive you now as my Father is my Lord, and I commit to being obedient to you, to accepting the responsibilities that you give me, to pressing in when it's hard, and to becoming a person of conviction. I just ask that you, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit right now, that I may learn to hear your voice and know your word. 
We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Men, you are not alone. We are in this together. And I want you to reach out to us uh, via our digital connection card if you need help in any of these areas. Happy Father's Day. God is with you. And you can do this.